This podcast is brought to you by Western Reformed Seminary, the Reformed Seminary of the Great Pacific Northwest. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. The way the Catechism puts it, it ties all of these into what we receive from Christ at resurrection, and it sees resurrection as a sort of confluence of all of these benefits. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master and joined, as always, across the internet by my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. James, how are you? I'm doing well. Looking, looking forward to our one-on-one conversation this week. Yes, this is a one-on-one conversation week. I'm looking forward to it as well. And we are going to discuss a question in the Shorter Catechism and the implications of the answer to this question. And so why don't I just begin by reading it? And then, James, you can, you can take it from there and talk about some of the aspects of it. So the question is question 38 in the Shorter Catechism. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? So these aren't the benefits that we receive as believers now, but the ones we look forward to at the future resurrection. And here's the answer that's given. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. What a beautiful promise that is. It is a beautiful promise. And the, the answer to the question, as the Shorter Catechism is wont to do, uh, it hides a, a lot of um, individual points that could be expounded at length. So I thought maybe we would just observe three today from this question. The first one uh, is probably the least, is the most implicit. Um, being raised up in glory, yeah, uh, and yeah. it is it is that um, aspect of glory. And I think, as I'm as I'm recalling it from uh, Thomas Vincent's discussion in his book, uh, the Shorter Catechism Explained from Scripture, he observes that the first benefit uh, with regard to glory is with respect to our bodies, um, yes. because if if you can think about our souls um, in the intermediate state between death and resurrection, except for those who don't go through death but are alive when Christ returns, um, for the rest of us who are believers, uh, our souls, though absent from the body, will be together present with the Lord in a glorious um, condition. But that's not quite what we mean when we talk about glorification of the believer. That's something, there's, uh, put it this way, there's an obvious aspect of our humanity that is not participating in glory during the intermediate state. Namely uh, our bodies. Namely our bodies, that we are we, we are laid in the grave, and our bodies, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, are sown corruptible uh, and indeed do corrupt. If we can take glory as a, as a sort of counterpoint to shame, there is a shamefulness in the demise and the breakdown of our bodies. It is a, it is a very visible manifestation of our being under the curse. Um, and I, I think that there is a believer and unbeliever alike um, you know, I've, I've been to funerals for believers and unbelievers, um, and I've been to open casket funerals for believers and unbelievers, and um, they're all dead, and right. they're all, they're all going to be put in a box in the ground, uh, and there isn't a sort of um, unique radiance 
or something special about the body of a Christian as opposed to a non-Christian on that day. There's a shamefulness uh, that is a, ta- a stigma even that is attached to our outer man uh, when the body is sown corruptible. Uh, yeah, and we we even it's it's not just evident at funerals. You can see it in in the lives of individuals. I mean, in the natural course of things, whether Christian or non-Christian, all of our bodies decline and decay and and fade. I was going to say jokingly that you you just look better year by year, and you know, but uh, <laughs> it would have been jokingly, joking, jokingly only yeah, because uh, we're breaking down, and we can see that our the outer man is wasting away. Um, and eventually, uh, when the soul is, departs the body, then the body is sown corruptible. And that is a kind of shame. That is a stigma that is the result. That's, that's not, you know, as they say, sometimes death is just a part of life, uh, but except that it's not at all. In fact, it's the cessation of life uh, as we know it. And I think the first promise of the resurrection is the reversal of shame, uh, that attaches to our bodies in that corrupting and corruptible and corrupting state. And so that's the first. And I think a text to that is uh, is Philippians chapter three, where Paul says, juxtaposing the, those who live for the body and the glory and its shame, he says, but our citizenship is from heaven. We eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's the thing, whether we are dying or dead, It's a humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And there'll be a certain sense in which we we also use the word exaltation. The reversal of humiliation is exaltation. The reversal of shame is glory, that there's going to be a transformation that isn't just of the inner man or of the soul, but that in fact touches that outer material self as well. And that's the first thing the catechism points to. Yeah. And let me also just make this point, because I I think I can anticipate what you're going to say next, that has to do with us, with our bodies. We are raised up in glory. The next benefit has to do with something that is said about us. And so why don't you, why don't you take that? So the second benefit that the answer gives uh, is that we shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. But what's interesting is that it, it connects that to benefits received from Christ at the resurrection. Now, obviously they've got, they've got the resurrection and the judgment uh, sort of as a big event. I don't think that this second benefit is wholly uh, unconnected to the first that's mentioned. There's a certain sense in which the reversal of the shame of your body, the, res- uh, the body of glory is in a certain sense, an outer attestation to your uh, participation in the glory of Christ. It's the removal of curse from you. And it, and the first thing I would say is even the, even the transformation of the outer man from shame to glory, from death to life, um, is maybe that's sort of the first sort of visible sign of the reversal of curse and of acceptance with God. So like right now, if I look at your outer man, just looking at you, I can't say whether you are justified and right in the sight of God. And in fact, given that you are tending toward death, just looking at you know the sensible data, um, I couldn't tell whether you are openly acquitted by God or not. In fact, it would seem to me that you're not um, because your outer man is wasting away. I think that reversal in the outer man is in fact a way, and I'll say there's more to it than this, but this is an aspect of it, 
it's a way of God manifesting in our bodies, our acceptance and our right relationship with him. Um, our bodies well, will say that. Well, and, and, and it's worth bearing in mind at the resurrection, there is a, a general resurrection, some to judgment. And so the fact that in this case, the, what benefits do believers receive? Well, well, they're raised up in glory. And that's, as you say, the first manifestation of the fact that they are indeed not destined for judgment. Right. I like that you brought that up because we probably need to make a distinction between anastasis, which is resurrection as such, and resurrection raised in glory. glory. Yes, um, exactly. So that there will be there will be a certain kind of uh, durable immortality to the body of the resurrected unbeliever and the body yes. of the resurrected believer. But the endowment of glory is something exceptional, and I think visible and open. Um, that is given to the believer so that even his outer man speaks a better condition than the outer man of the resurrected unbeliever. The, there's an additional component, though. I don't want to simply mean that God that nothing is being said, because when the catechism says that we shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted, I think that that's openly done through the glorious bodies we receive. But that I think we should add to that. But it's also done by Christ Jesus himself on our behalf, um, in, in the proof text that the catechism supplies, um, there are some, there are some uh, interesting ones where it, says that, um, where it says that Christ will own us. If we confess him mm. before men, he will confess us before his Father in heaven. Uh, and I think it's not unreasonable to say at this very moment, at this most critical moment, the day of judgment, when we need Christ to own us as his own, he will faithfully be there to declare us to be his own covered in his righteousness and yeah, he'll he'll show up for us you know yeah, i think about exactly it. you know how many times we're disappointed by people or even the apostle paul when he was put on trial in asia and he said at my first defense no one supported me and we can kind of identify with that emotionally although he says the lord was there but here christ will be there for us i once got in a car wreck in which i was not at fault and uh, someone had run a light and hit me uh, in the intersection and the police came and took a report. And, uh, and I gave my statement that I had a green light, the cross traffic had a red light and this person ran the red light. And uh, the other driver uh, <laughs> who had run into me, uh, but nevertheless gave the different story that she had run, that she had a green light. And uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, but I found later in the police report, uh, two witnesses came privately to the police officer at the scene. I didn't see any of this um, and gave a testimony on my behalf. Uh, they didn't know me at all. I have no idea who did this, but two individuals came and gave a testimony that, support, that corroborated my statement. Now, it's not to crisis corroborating my own personal righteousness, but it's somebody who's showing up and ensuring that we are right in the judgment. Uh, in, in, our, in our hour of greatest need in the moment that is the inflection point of all eternity for, for human beings. But of course, not an anonymous witness, but in this case, Christ himself, having fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf and having paid the price on our behalf, um, is going to own us as his own in that day. So that second benefit, openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, um, when it comes down to that, the answer that's going to be given is going to be given by Christ on our behalf. 
Uh, and so that's the second benefit that we receive in the resurrection. Our glorious body openly testifies to the reversal of curse on us. Um, Christ openly attests to owning us um, as his, confessing us before his Father in heaven. There's a third one. We should talk about the third benefit yes. uh, as well, which is this, that we are made perfectly, perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. And I, I think this kind of goes to uh, even the apostle's words where he says, um, now we see through a glass darkly, uh, but then we shall see face to face and know as we are known, sometimes called the beatific vision, um, that it's the glory of, as it says, um, perfectly blessed. Certainly we are blessed now, um, but our blessedness is, there's a certain imperfection in our blessedness. The imperfection does not lie in God. Um, and the imperfection isn't even necessarily due to our individual sins. It's due to the incomplete, and that's what I mean by imperfection, the incomplete state of our salvation. The assurance of, of our salvation um, is sure. Um, and the accomplishment of our salvation uh, on our behalf is done and finished uh, in Christ's death and resurrection. The application of our salvation to our inner and outer man is not yet complete. Um, the outer man wasting away, waiting for that conformity to the glory of Christ. Um, the flesh and blood uh, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, uh, but flesh and blood resurrected into the likeness of Christ's glory will. Uh, and I think that's that perfection of blessedness that we are all waiting for. And there's a kind of tension, even now in the Christian life, we are raised up with Christ in the inner man, and yet the outer man decays and is wasting away. And there is a there is a sense, not that God isn't coming through, but that his work isn't through and that his work is unfolding in stages. And that final stage, when we reach that, that summit of benediction, of blessedness, uh, really awaits the day of resurrection. I think sometimes we want to move that date up and think that at my death, before the resurrection, I will be perfectly blessed. Um, and we even talk about, um, you know, the souls of the blessed who are in heaven. Well, it is true. Paul says, you know, to, to depart and to be with Christ is better by far. But you're right. That's, that's something short of perfect blessing and full enjoyment. And I think that's what the catechism's getting after here. It's getting after that thing that even, even the saints and the souls of the blessed now in heaven are still awaiting a future benediction. Even they are awaiting a future benediction in which their glory, their body is raised up in glory and reunited to their soul. Um, in conformity to Christ Jesus. But I, I love that the, the way the catechism puts it is that it, it just it ties all of these into what we receive from Christ at resurrection. And it sees resurrection as a, a sort of confluence of all of these benefits. Yeah, I'll make one more comment as well about this, the way this answer is divided. And I love how you divided it into those three parts because it strikes me that each of those three parts in rough outline, follows a kind of Trinitarian framework because it is the Spirit who raises us up in glory. It is Christ who openly acknowledges and acquits us, stands in for us, and 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 it is the enjoyment of God. We we, we might say God the Father to all eternity. And I mean, these yeah. of course there's overlap, and, and we have to be careful about these hard and fast kinds of things. We're talking about one God, but there is a a, a Trinitarian. 
sense to this, even no, to this answer. Yeah. And it's a That's biblical right. and it's a biblical answer. It's not that they're trying to put it in a Trinitarian framework, although perhaps they were, but it's that these are the categories that the Bible gives us these three. Yeah. And this is, I think this is a, that's a nice way to, to bring out the Trinitarian contours of this, that it is the spirit of resurrection in Christ Jesus by which we are raised. Um, it is likeness to the body of his glory and it's his intercession on our behalf um, that gives us that full acquittal and open acknowledgement. And it is the enjoyment of God as Abba father, as our own um, in which we, in which we commune in fellowship with the father that we have our access to him by the spirit through his son and that we're going to that we're going to arrive at a destination point in the future. And I think for us as Christians now, uh, those of us living under the effects of the curse still, and as we feel them, particularly in our outer man, that there's a great hope and a consolation that lies before us. Those that are in sickness, uh, those that are uh, battling with not just their body in its decaying form, but also um, passions and appetites that seem so exceedingly powerful, that there's going to be a, a renegotiated relationship with your body that is one of perfect harmony and health and happiness. And there's a, there's a line that, um, that I wanted to cite from uh, Thomas Vincent, on this. And now that I'm looking for it, I can't find it. So uh, I'll just, I'll just leave uh, our listeners to go find that, it for themselves. Well, that's, that's the way these things always go in my experience, but um, it's on page 105 or 106 when you do chase it down. Well, that's good. Uh, we would commend Vincent, wouldn't we? We would commend Vincent to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, very helpful uh, little book. It's in the Puritan paperback series uh, from Banner of Truth. And as a matter of fact, if you would like to register to win a copy, we'll give you a copy. Um, if you if you uh, give us your information and, and you're chosen, we'd we'd love to give you that. If not, uh, we'd recommend you you picking it up. I think it's probably six or seven dollars from Banner of Truth, Thomas Vincent, shorter catechism explained from Scripture. James, it's always a pleasure to. Um, talk about these things. Uh, it's, it's amazing how even just taking one of these questions and answers can lead to just rich and fruitful meditation on, on the scriptures. That's an easy three-part sermon series for someone who wants to take a quick uh, break and give an encouraging series of sermons. The catechism gives lots of, lots of motivation from things that can be expounded from scriptures that way. Well, thank you for listening to this uh, conversation. Uh, we're, we're grateful when we hear from you. Uh, some of you are able to give financially, and so you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Uh, there's a donate button on both of those websites. Uh, recommend this podcast to those whom you think might be helped by it. And, uh, and, and leave comments uh, if you're using Apple uh, Podcasts. That helps us spread the word. And thank you, as always, for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Western Reformed Seminary is a Bible-believing Presbyterian seminary in the great Pacific Northwest. Their mission is to prepare church leaders who are spiritually grounded, knowledgeable, capable, and dedicated through solid theological training. Academic degrees such as Masters of Biblical or Theological Studies, as well as the Masters of Christian Ministry, with emphasis in Biblical Counseling, Missions, or Church Ministry. Along with degree programs, students may take a class as a standalone for credit or audit. 
Although residency classes offer the best learning environment, Western Reform Seminary offers interactive, synchronous classes for students unable to attend in person, as well as concentrated classes in January and May every year. For more information, visit wrs.edu or email registrar at wrs.edu. Western Reformed Seminary.